Well, good morning. So I think most people know me. I'm Greg Bandy. Uh, Mitch uh, asked me to be the designated hitter this week. And uh, so I will do my best. And hopefully my best is good enough. Um, and happy new year. It's about the fifth time I think somebody said it from up here. We're in 2023. Can you believe it? And this is such a great way to start the new year. We're here together as a body of Christ to worship together. We just celebrated Christmas, Advent, Jesus' birth. You know, that's a big event in history and for us in particular. In April, we celebrate Easter and several of our songs actually pointed towards his death and the resurrection of Jesus. And that's a significant event for us. With Jesus' death and resurrection, God established Jesus as high priest. And today, many of our songs were about him being our king. But he's our high priest as well. And there's a slight difference in the way we relate to our high priest and our high priest to us that I hope um, we'll get, be able to understand. It's a role that's uniquely explained in the book of Hebrews. And so I'd like to start off by reading Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 through 6. Um, that's in your pew Bible. Um, it'll also be displayed up here if you'd rather just follow along there. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest. He's speaking about Jesus. One who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all. Since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law, they serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, the tabernacle, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. And that verse is kind of the pivot for our message today. So we just went through Advent, big event, and in it, God promises a Messiah, a Savior. And the scriptures talk about this, and Mitch covered a number of those over the last several weeks as he went through promises and Old Testament. In fact, his whole series has kind of led up to, to where we are today. That, and we as a people believe that Jesus was born of a virgin through the Holy Spirit. Um, I had a conversation with a colleague oh, a couple of years ago, and he's like, really, you believe that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do. Um, and there's good reason to do so. And his birth was announced, and we talked about some of these things that he, he announced it to shepherds. He announced it to 
through the angels. He announced it to wise men. He announced it to Simeon. We talked about Simeon a couple weeks ago. To Anna. To others. So it wasn't done entirely silently. And then there's the life and ministry of Jesus. And we spend a lot of time looking at that. Um, Jesus grew up in the northern part of Israel, far away from the capital and main city of Jerusalem. Uh, it's kind of a, a rural area. It's, you know, he grew up in relative obscurity. And he was Jewish. Jesus was raised in the faith handed down by Moses. He was taught the scriptures, the law and the prophets. And again, many of the things that we've reviewed over the last several months with Mitch, Pastor Mitch, have, have helped to kind of lay the foundation of what are some of these things that, that Jesus would have been well steeped in. As a rabbi, Jesus taught about the kingdom of God to many people. He taught and he healed wide, widely. He challenged the religious handling of God's people in many different religious contexts and with many of the formal and official priests. He raised disciples that would carry on his message after he was raised from the dead. And then we have Easter, where Jesus' death, he died for sin. And that's not a popular word today. But it's one that the Bible uses a lot. And it's important for us to, to dwell on that word a little bit. And we'll talk about sin in a certain way today. But it, he was crucified on a cross, and we use that as our symbol. That's a pretty clean cross. I suspect that his was much more rough-hewn and, and uh, bulkier. And then he was buried in a tomb. And these things were all according to the scripture. God raised Jesus from the dead on the third day after he died. And this is one of our basic truths. And then weeks later, he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And I want to note something in the account that the gospel writers write. And this is in several of the accounts. Is that I'm reading from Mark, but it says, And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. So there he is on the cross and he dies. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the curtain separated the holy place. And we'll, we'll talk about the, the holy place and the most holy place. I want to get into that a little bit because if you're like me, it's not, not part of my uh, normal day-to-day -day experience. So having been raised from the dead... Who is Jesus? Well, Jesus, we talked about in our singing today, was the king, but he's also the high priest. And that's kind of the focus of today's look into the scriptures. That he's the resurrected savior. He is the king of kings, but he's also a high priest. So Jesus as a high priest, and this may be, well, I'll just say it, that it only applies to the forgiven. Um, people need to come to the living God. And I, and I think this is such an important starting point. God's not a concept, and he's not a force. He's not just a religious artifact, but he's a living person. And we need to come to God 
as a living person. He is eternal and he is holy. But not all believe in Jesus' birth and his life and his death properly, and we try to, right? That's part of why we come together and we try and teach each other these things from the scriptures. People believe in Jesus for various things. Some of them are kind of self-help type of things and in general goodness kind of things. But they're not necessarily focusing on Jesus and his birth and his life and his death for the purpose of getting to know the living God. And we try and do that. And hopefully today's message will help encourage that. People are not necessarily looking to God to be forgiven for sin. You know, the, the book of Hebrews is a fascinating book in that it, it, he builds this big argument uh, for Christ as the high priest. And a big part of that is that as that high priest, he, he, he alone was sufficient to be able to pay the payment for sin. And it's not a f- forgiveness that we can go and, and work up and do some, enough good deeds to make it right with God. He had to provide that for us. And so we trust him. And the author continues that Jesus is able to completely save those who come to God through him. And so there's an action on our part to be receiving this forgiveness that Jesus has paid for and that God offers to us. And we'll look at that as the new covenant. In... uh, Hebrews 8.1, there are passage today, it says, now the point in what we are saying is this, we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. And the obvious point here is that we do have a high priest. Hebrews uniquely describes this role of Jesus as high priest. It's not talked about elsewhere in any of the New Testament. And he develops it very deeply. And he really does help build a whole doctrinal theology so that the people of God can properly relate to Jesus as high priest and understand his role. And I began to think, what does that mean, high priest? Um, God superseded the old priesthood that people in the day, the people in the day of the Hebrews, would have understood he, Jesus is seated with God, the Father in heaven. We've sung, sang a couple of songs to that end earlier. The notion of the high priest was provided by God. He put that in place for us and for his people at the time. The old faith was a covenant between God and people. And what is a covenant? It's often, a, it's kind of like a legal contract, except this one's different. God agrees to let people come to him in a specified way if they choose to come to him according to the terms of the covenant that God has laid down. It's not that we're negotiating with God or that we can make this up on our own. He said, if you want to come to me and you're welcome to do so, here's the terms. And he laid out the Old Testament covenant at that time. So, you know, for those who are not as familiar with the Old Testament, if you've been going through the Essential 100 and you're getting to know what the storyline is, 
um, good for you. I, I think knowing the Old Testament storyline is wonderful. And it started with a promise of God to Abraham. Don prayed about this, actually. Um, that he would become a great nation. And there was Isaac and Jacob, and the nation of Israel was formed, and it had 12 tribes. And God picked one of those tribes, Levi, to be a tribe of priests to the rest of the nation. So God took this nation, which he said, you are a nation of priests to the world, and within that nation, he said, one of these tribes is going to be designated as a priest to you. And of all of those priests, we're going to have one high priest. And at that time, at the beginning, it was Moses and Aaron, and Aaron was selected as that high priest. And they're both from the line of Levi. God gave Moses the terms of the covenant, this, this acceptable way to come to him in the Ten Commandments. And those became known as the tablets of the covenant. And they were written in stone. So if we could... Um, Think about this from ourselves. I, I don't know how it is for you, but the notion of a high priest is really academic to me. Um, most of us don't have a background in Judaism. We don't have high priests in our daily life. We don't practice that stuff. And uh, most, rather, most of us have a Christian orientation. We don't have a Jewish background. We have an American background. And... We don't think in terms of priests. It's not a meaningful construct for us. But the book of Hebrews paints it that way. And in fact, the Bible is, is geared in that old way. And there's lots of example there, lots of story for us to take in and understand what is it. You know, we have lawyers. We think, you know, if, we, if this were written in terms of modern day constructs, we might have lawyers or we might have agents or gurus or whatever. There's different terms that we use that we kind of attach to um, but not necessarily priests. And depending upon your denominational background, you may have had a priest in your church, and that's good. Uh, we have a pastor. They're not necessarily the same thing as the Jewish priest. Not the same way. In, in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, God just didn't allow anybody to come and interact with them. He selected individuals, and he allowed them to come. And he, that's what the priesthood was about was that they stood as a mediator between the people on one hand and God on the other hand. And in Moses, it's most clearly seen because he goes, meets with God on the mountain, gets words, and then talks to the people. And then the people come and bring offerings and the priests process those offerings and gifts and sacrifices and they do that to God. And so there's this intermediary function that the priests are allowed to provide that God has set it up that way. In Hebrews 8.2, it says that Jesus is a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up and not man. And there's this notion of a tabernacle or a tent. Um, this was something that, to the reader of Hebrews, it would have made a lot of sense. But Jesus is in the true holy places. And we'll talk about the distinction here in a minute. The... Uh, if we could show the first slide, Mark. Now, this little graphic, actually, I think you can buy it and make it yourself. <laughs> it's a kit. Um, but this lays out what the tabernacle was. He, 
Moses came down and he was told, make this according to the pattern. So God established this first covenant with Israel. And he says, Abraham gonna, becomes 12 tribes. There's the tribe of Levi, who's our priest. We have the covenant with God in the Ten Commandments. And then there's this tabernacle for worship. And it was made from... Um, it was made in a particular way. Um, in Hebrews 9, it says, there were two rooms in that tabernacle, which is that tent area. There's two rooms inside that covered tent. And we'll look at those in a second. But the, the, the whole purpose of this was to allow the priests to have a place to work. They did most of their sacrifices in that big bronze altar. They washed stuff in that big bronze bowl. And everything that's built around there is fine fabric, it's gold, it's precious metals, there's jewels, there's animal skins, there's fine fabrics. And there was a really high level of craftsmanship that went into building this tabernacle. And whenever God would move his people, Moses gave them this when they came down from the mountain. And after they had come out of the exodus in Egypt, he established this tabernacle and these laws and gave them this covenant. And he moved them around for 40 years before he allowed the nation of Israel to enter into the promised land, which also became known as the nation of Israel. But every time they moved, the priests had to go along and pack all this up and put it in carts and fold it all up. And then they would move it and then they would set it all back up. And this was a big, big enterprise. Well, how big was this thing? Um, We'll look at that in a second. So if you could put the next slide up, Mark. So looking inside that tabernacle, and again, this is just for illustration because we don't have this as part of our daily life. This was what was inside, was covered by that tent, if you will. That there was two rooms here. There was the holy place on the right and the most holy place on the left. And let me read what it says in Hebrews 9. There were two rooms in that tabernacle. In the first room, the one on the right, there was a lampstand, a table, and sacred loaves of bread on the table. This room was called the holy place. Then there was a curtain. And behind the curtain was the second room called the most holy place. In that room were a gold incense altar and a wooden chest called the Ark of the Covenant, which is covered with gold on all sides. Inside the Ark were a gold jar containing manna, Aaron's staff that sprouted leaves, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Now, you can't see all the furniture that's in there, but important is the phrasing of that these were the stone tablets of the covenant. This was the Ark of the Covenant. This was a important thing for them, and it was behind that curtain. And this is the curtain that was ripped from top to bottom the moment Jesus died. The significance of that is huge to the Jewish person. And I want to try and make why that's important to us. Um, so this was a pattern that God gave to Moses that make sure you make it according to the pattern of what you saw in heaven because there is a true tabernacle in heaven. And we don't see that. So there's this pattern. And later Solomon made a a temple that was patterned after this with a holy place and a most holy place. The outer court was 150 by 75 feet. The holy place was only 30 feet by 15. 
you probably could put it pretty much up here. And then the most holy place was 15 feet square. It's not a very big room. This is not a huge area for God to dwell in, which is kind of how they viewed it. But the pattern is that inside this courtyard is a holy place. And then inside that, that's the way you get to the most holy place where God dwells. And so we looked at a number of the rules and some of the, some of the things that, or Pastor Mitch did, um, looked at some of the rules that, that go along with that. That holy place was was entered into regularly, but the most holy place was only entered into one time a year, and that was by the high priest, and that was a designated position. And the high priest would have to go in there, and there was specific things he would do, but one of the things he would do is he would offer a sacrifice for his own sin, then he would offer a sacrifice for the unintentional sins of the people of Israel, and God would accept that. Let's turn off that slide. So verse 2 tells us that this tabernacle was really a copy of the shadow of heavenly things. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, gave the tabernacle, we're told. Gave that design to Moses to illustrate a couple of truths. That God is holy and that the way into his presence is not permanently provided by that tabernacle. God never intended for that to be the permanent method to know him and to relate to him. I'm going to move to verse 6. The, you know, one of the things I want to say about the pattern of this tabernacle, um, in some ways, because they used it every day, and there was breaks in that, there's a 12 to 1400 year illustration of Jesus' ministry. This better ministry that verse 6 talks about is illustrated here, and it's a foreshadowing of his ministry, of what he really accomplished in, in this priestly role. Verse 6 says, But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it's enacted on better promises. So you had God giving Abraham a promise. He gave instructions to Moses. They established this way and they established this covenant. And the law of the covenant was etched in those stones and those tablets were put into that big ark. And there were sacrifices that were offered and gifts that were offered to God. Jesus comes along and there's better promises. God promised a son. And this is Christmas. This is the Advent season that we look at. These promises are dear to us. God swore an oath that he would make his son a priest forever. And the author of Hebrews goes into that quite a bit. And there's, um, if you've read it and you hear about Melchizedek and you read some of these things, um, that can be, the way he jumps around, it can be a little confusing to follow his train of thinking. But basically, he, he comes to him, he says, this is my son, and on my oath, by my word, I'm establishing my son, and I'm giving him a body. And 
Their covenant is Jesus' own body. And, and the payment of the, his death and his blood provided a permanent payment for sin. It wasn't a temporary one where they had to come back day after day, year after year, century after century, for millennia. But Christ paid the penalty once for all time. And that's put the curtain. The way into the holy place then was made permanently available to us in Christ. So by the sacrifice of the body of Christ, once for time, this is why we celebrate communion each month, to remember the death and the resurrection of Jesus. We come and truly ask God to forgive us our sin. And that, that's important. This truly part is, is key for us. We have to come with a sincere heart before him. We have to do business with God. It's not about attending church, which is good, all things being equal, but it's about doing business with God. Um, and we come based on Jesus' life and his sacrifice and the promises that are built into that. You know, similarly, we, we look a lot at the epistles of Paul. Um, if you're like most of the believers I know, you're more steeped in the Pauline epistles and Romans and the teachings there. Um, he's talking to his, his disciple Timothy and he says, For there is one God and there is one mediator between man and God, the man Jesus Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. So the offer is made to all. And this is what Paul was going around on all of his missionary journeys telling people who otherwise didn't really have a good grasp of these very things. But he was presenting Christ as being the way to know, to know God personally. After Jesus' resurrection, you know, that we know that he ascended to heaven and he was with God on the throne, um, the true and only most holy place, and we're told this in Revelation, that, that they are the holy place. The significance of that is that the holy place is where God is. And so we don't enter into a religious activity. We enter into an interaction with the living God. And that's why I said earlier it's so important that we understand that we're dealing with a living God. The resurrection is key too. We treat it as an event. But what we need to take is we're dealing with a living Christ. Jesus Christ is alive today. You have not seen him, but you believe in him. And are filled with the hope that we talked about. And so we have this hope in a living Christ who is our high priest mediating towards our living God, the living God. And so that's the better ministry is that Jesus opens up this direct path into a relationship with God himself. And that's going to force us to have to kind of process our own interactions with the Lord. There's not a program for that.
one of the key verses, and, it, and I found as I was going through the book of Hebrews, there's so many key verses. Eight, this verse 6 is one of them. Another one that I think is wonderful is in Hebrews 4. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. So for those who have come to him for saving, to be forgiven of sin, if you haven't done that, that's step one. But for those who have, we hold firmly to what we believe. This high, this, um, high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of, grace, of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. And I like the wording of that. That's from the New Living Translation. It, it's, we're approaching God himself and we have been offered mercy in terms of our sin and grace in terms of our life. Jesus' blood shed through his death is more effective than 1,200 years of Old Testament sacrifices. The proportion is just out of, out of whack. Jesus was quoting from, or the author was quoting from Psalm 40. He says, look, I have come to do your will. And that was Jesus' words. He cancels the first covenant, the Old Testament covenant, in order to put the second into effect. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. And that's the forgiveness of sins. And we have a, we have a role to play in that. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins. Good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. So what's the, what do we do with this? What's our, what's our proper thing? The, the book of Hebrews is written to um, first century listeners who had a Hebrew background. They understood a lot of the things that he was talking about. He was, trying, he was encouraging them not to fall away, not to turn away from Jesus, not to rebel against Jesus, not to exhibit unbelief in Jesus. He says in multiple times, he says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. And he goes on. Those folks in that day, because of the persecution and because of the um, government, they were tempted to return to Judaism because Judaism was a protected religion in Rome. And so there wouldn't have been as much grief. There wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been as socially unacceptable. He's saying, don't do that. The author of Hebrews is very clear to say, that old way has been canceled. And I think there is any number of religious things that we could replace that with today, that we as American Christians might rely on going to church to be saved or might rely on taking communion or a baptism to be saved. 
but those are errors. They really are. There's an individual going there. Um, the larger group of believers needs to help one another stay encouraged to follow Jesus despite sacrifices and pressures in doing so. They need to stick together. So if we could put up the third slide, Mark. So, you know, it's New Year's resolution. Kind of was resisting saying that word, but I had to. So let's renew. Let's, this is an encouragement for us as believers, which I think most of us are. Most of us are are true believers in Christ, we have been forgiven. But are your sins forgiven? Um, in Christ, they can be, no matter what the sin is, no matter how long you've been doing it. And the greatest sin is really not coming to him his way. But you need to come to him. You need to do that. You need to come to God and you need to do business with him and you need to appropriate that promise that is offered in Christ and do business with God. If your sins are not forgiven, they can be. So are you somewhat distant from God today and you need to draw near to the Lord? In Christ, you can. You always can. You can always draw near. So all of us have different, I don't know about you, I feel like I'm, you know, a porpoise in the waves kind of because things are up and then they're down, they're up and down, they go sideways. I know each of us has different life pressures or family pressures or work pressures. And we don't always feel that close to God, but the strong encouragement here is let us draw near to God. Again, you need to make space for him. So, coming to church is one of the ways to do that. Reading your Bible and doing the essential 100 is a way to make space for God to, to get in. Praying, giving, serving. Those are all ways that we can, we can participate in, make space for God to have a role in our life and to allow ourselves to have that that personal interaction with them. And then I would strongly encourage you to strongly consider how do you plug into the church body? Are you plugged in? Each of you has things to offer. But I also know that each of you has a need to receive. Come to receive. Let your brothers and sisters care for you in Christ. But let us also contribute. Be that person. Roll up your sleeves. Help fund things. Help put things on. Um, again, in Christ we offer that help. That's what we are about as a, as a body. He wants us to contribute what we can and to receive what we need. And somehow, the body of Christ is part of a, of a thriving relationship with him. Keeps us encouraged. So this is New Year's Day. Let's renew our resolve. Let me encourage you to really press on to know and follow the Lord this year. Make space for him in your affections. 
in your thinking, get your doctrine, learn, know the story. In your person and in your identity, who are you? Who does God say you are? Really let that grasp who you are in your identity. And then in your strength and actions, what you do with it, how you respond and behave. Decide how you'll do that. So there's not a specific thing here for you to go do. This is something that you and the Lord should work through. And what, how would the Lord have you respond in 2023? What are you going to lean into? What are you going to pursue? What are you going to do? You may make all sorts of other things. I was talking to somebody earlier in the week, and they're making goals for 2023, and I think that's wonderful. Foundationally, continue to grow in your walk with Christ and to figure out what is it you need to do to do that. It's a, it's a team sport. So there's individual pieces that you might do at home, such as a devotional time or fasting, or praying. But there's corporate things that we do, and that we, Bible study should be a team sport, ultimately. Preaching is a team sport. There's a role you play in each of Pastor Mitch's messages, and how you respond to that, and how you take that out the doors and into the week, and into our community. At East Glenville, we're trying to make your journey with God fruitful. And we may or may not be doing a great job of that. We're trying. We're trying to make it informed. And we offer things in our structure to make that possible. So you can come to the messages. You can go to Bible studies. You can get involved in the mentoring. And if, if, that's, if you're not a woman and you want mentoring... Go collar some guy and say, hey, talk to me. Help me out. Um, be a member. Be encouraged. One of the strong things in, in Hebrews is that we should not forsake our own assembly together, but encourage one another and build each other up just as you are doing. So keep doing that. Turn up the volume on that a little bit. Be a little more intentional about that. Let's help each other figure out how to do this following Jesus thing. So, I don't think there's a prayer team this week, but find a brother or sister if you have a need to pray. Um, I've mentioned the Essential 100s a couple times. Get to know your Bible, and if you know it, become reacquainted with the stories. Um, it's easy to, to allow time to go by and you haven't read the book of Jonah in a decade, <laughs> right? It's that little book, or I've never read an Obadiah before, what's that? Um, there's a lot of different helps out there. But let me encourage you to keep a steady stream of the Word of God flowing through you because that's a foundation for us. And that's one of the things that we try and offer here. Let me pray. 
Father in heaven, we thank you for your word that encourages us to walk with you and to know you. And we do know you, many, most of us. And we're, we're doing well. And you're pleased. There may be some that do not know you. We pray that they would come to you and consider what you offer this new covenant that you've given to us, Jesus. And help us to come often, Lord, to draw near to you, to find mercy and grace to help in time of need, that we would come boldly into your presence and do business with you, allowing you to make us uncomfortable, to lead us into new things, to stop doing old things, and to become transformed by the renewing of our mind and our heart and our soul and our affections and our actions. And to become a new creation in Christ as we walk with you. We just offer these things up to you with a thankful heart and offer you a sacrifice of praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's stand. Let's sing our closing song, In Christ Alone. The God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us, that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.